Grace and peace to you. Our first reading from Isaiah is a prophetic poem of hope. It is in four sections. Each has its own tone. The poem is addressed to a people in exile in Babylon soon after the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC. Hearing these words, I cannot help but sing the verses from Handel's Messiah, one of my treasured pieces of music that I listen to every Advent, Christmas, Lent, and Easter. The first section is a note of comfort, saying that the, wor the worst is over. The second is a note of promise. The third seems, at first glance, to be a despondent one. But at the end, the transitory nature of human life is contrasted to the permanence of the word of God. The fourth is a note of triumph. Here is your God. The hope of the people rests in the promise of God of strength. Our second reading from 2 Peter speaks of the apparent delay of the judgment day. Time goes by slowly when we're waiting for someone or something. We may become impatient, lose hope and faith as we wait. God's time is not human time, and God's always right on time. The author says the Lord's delaying is an indication of God's patience and God's desire that people should repent. It is a word of warning and a word of instruction. The new heaven and earth will be places where righteousness is at home. In our gospel from Mark, Mark points out God's promises in the past and moves to John's call for his hearers to respond in the present and to his announcement of what God is about to do in the future. John's preparation consisted of preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Ritual washing was an important component of Israel's worship. Priests, in particular, were expected to purify themselves before coming into the presence of God in the temple. Pharisees extended the notion of ritual purity to include the laity. When John says, John says nothing about a regular practice of purification. He preaches repentance and washes penitence in preparation for the coming of the Lord. His baptism was to provide an important backdrop for later Christian baptismal practices. Note the location of Mark's beginning. The story opens in the desert, not in the holy city. Jerusalem is where the temple was located, the place of God's presence where everyday priests offered sacrifices for sin. According to Mark, those who wished to obtain forgiveness left the city in droves to visit John in the unsettled desert place where they could confess their sins and to be washed. In Mark, Jerusalem is not a gracious place. 
It is where Jesus will die. Not surprisingly, at the end of Mark, the young man dressed in a white robe at the tomb directs Jesus' followers to Galilee. There you will see him. Why did John baptize in the Jordan River? John could have reached many more people by simply going to Jerusalem and preaching there. Passing through waters represents going to God's throne from the earth. As the place where God would dwell enthroned among the people, the promised land resembled the heavens where God ruled among the angels. Thus Moses brought the people through the parted waters, and Joshua and the Israelites entered the land by miraculously passing through the Jordan River and leaving the flesh of the old creation behind in circumcision. The Israelites were actually circumcised when they crossed the Jordan River, which Paul in Colossians associates circumcision with baptism. Those many Judeans who left their houses and traveled the long road to John the Baptist in order to be baptized at the Jordan River were re-entering the promised land. By making the pilgrimage to Jordan, those who believed John's message showed that they wanted to be visibly separated from those under judgment when the Lord came. They wanted to be members of the future purified Israel. Mark makes it clear that repentance, baptism, and forgiveness of sins belong together. Mark focuses on repentance as preparation for the Lord's coming. The annual reoccurrence of the Advent season invites us to expect not only some far-off event, but also to expect that the one who came into Galilee preaching a kingdom near at hand may come to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. This year, soon, now. Today we lit the second candle on the Advent wreath. The second candle is often called the peace candle or the Bethlehem candle. It reminds us God prepared for the coming of his son into the manger of Bethlehem. So we also ought to prepare for his coming into the manger of our hearts today through his word and the sacraments. Advent is a time of hope, of waiting, and reflecting before Christmas. In the rush towards what is for many the busiest holiday of the year, sometimes we forget time, forget to take time to prepare our hearts for the birth of Jesus in our own lives. Advent is a penitential season, like Lent, in which we prepare our hearts for our coming Messiah. Advent for me is an emotional moving time. After Thanksgiving, I get out my Advent wreath and candles out of the storage bin and set them up. I select one of several devotional booklets that I have for Advent. This year, I've chosen a 50-year-old publication from the Aid Association for Lutherans, Countdown to Christmas. My family would gather around the table, 
have a glass of eggnog, gaze on the flickering flame from the candles, and listen as I read the devotion for that day. There is something special about that gathering around the wreath that symbolizes so much about our faith. This Advent, I light the candles alone. Next year's Advent devotions, I will light the candles with the one that I love. Amen.